0: Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and most definitely a messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. All right, so this episode is a follow-up to episode number six with my good friend, Josh Stannis. Now, on that one, I gave a disclaimer because we talked about him about to have a vasectomy. And so this is actually Vasectomy 2.0, talking about the recovery. So if you are uh, haven't had your vasectomy, you may not want to listen to this. My experience was not like his I think he's a little overdramatic, but also hilarious. And hey, it's his story. So if you're not into it, skip to about minute 20, uh, because at minute 20, we start to get really real. This episode is incredible because the first half is just hilariousness of Josh sharing his story of his vasectomy. And then the second half is... Is him being very open, very real, open and honest about the dad's struggle and fight through having your first son. And there being some serious health issues and some concerns and how to process that and be a support for your family. And then also make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So again, this is an incredible conversation around fatherhood. Starts off hilarious More than hilarious, and then jumps into some real life, raw stuff. And I know that if you have found yourself. In a situation where your child has some health issues and you're trying to dig through how to resolve this internally This is a conversation that you need to listen to if you find this valuable Please share it if this is your first time ever listening to one of my podcasts You might want to go check out a different one first It sometimes gets pretty serious. So we wanted to make this pretty lighthearted to start Thank you for listening. Thank you to all you dads out there. Enjoy this conversation around All right here we go. Another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes. I got my bestie in here, Joshua Stannis. What's up, dude? What's up, man? I'm excited to sit and hang out and talk. It's Valentine's Day, so it seems kind of perfect for you and I to spend some quality time together.
1: It's the same thing we do every Valentine's Day.
0: <laughs> Find a way to hang out. Yep. So we just did an intense workout in the gym.
1: You did an intense workout in the gym. Nah,
0: no. And then... Here we are. And you brought over this apple juice yeah. sort of thing that we're drinking right now.
1: Yeah, it's uh, apple pie moonshine. My uh, my mm. boss at work made it legally.
0: Yeah, I'm a little nervous. Is this like good post-workout?
1: Uh... Yeah, because it's got the sugar in it. Oh. So it's got those bacas.
0: Okay, okay. Perfect. That's all I needed to know. You're good. <laughs> okay, so we've been talking about getting back on the podcast ever since we did the last one, which was hilarious. <laughs> Um, and I mean, we, we live on the same property together and there's still just never time. So you're a little under the weather right now, but we're like, we're doing this. We've been talking about it for a week and a half. So we're handling it right now. Yep. Yeah. So last time we kind of made mention to it, but you and I have known each other since second grade. Yep. We have a T-ball that we both signed and then really started hanging out a lot in seventh grade playing music together. Mm-hmm. And what year was it you moved on the same street that I lived on? It was freshman year.
1: Yeah, it had to be, had to be like freshman year in high school. I think you were a sophomore. It was my freshman year. And I think that's when it was. Yeah.
0: So we grew up in Northern California. You moved on the same street. (coughs) And then when I moved back to Northern California, your parents were living in a different town and you kind of, you were there for a minute and I lived on the same street as them again, third street in Lincoln. Oh yeah. And then we thought let's, buy a property together and so now currently we live on six acres you live in your house with your four kids i live in my house with my five kids yeah and there's a lot of so you might hear kids running around because they just got home from school
1: they have like the best life
0: <clears throat> <clears throat> they do have the best life like they yeah.
1: literally just get to come home and like hang out with like their i guess you could say it's their extended family yeah but like it's closer than that
0: yeah, it's pretty close. It's pretty cool. We're at the end of a road, so like, there's no cars coming around. Yeah. It's just us. I mean, it's tight, right? You and I each write half the mortgage check and put it in an envelope every month.
1: Sometimes I wish you would just write all of the mortgage <laughs> check, but yeah, I write my half too sometimes.
0: And uh, yeah, so as you can hear, like things are pretty tight over here at the Oceanus compound. <clears throat> so let's talk about your vasectomy. Last time we did this... We recorded it at 10 o'clock at night. We had whiskey at that time because you were trying to ease the pain of the next day going to get your vasectomy.
1: I was trying to get myself psyched up.
0: Yeah. And I was trying to put some fear into you.
1: That I like no amount of fear that you could have put into me would have prepared me for what I experienced.
0: Why don't you tell us about it as much as you would like to?
1: Well, we can talk about the fact that you drove me there.
0: (laughs) So we didn't mention that last time.
1: So (laughs) My wife, so my son, uh, he had to get his ears checked and he had have tubes put in his ears. Well, she scheduled it for the same day that my vasectomy was scheduled for. <laughs> and so I'm like, the day of the visectomy, like the week of the vasectomy comes and I'm like, hey, uh, are you going to be able to take me? And Ashley literally is just like, oh, you know what? That's the same day of Liam's surgery. And like, I've had to reschedule it already. I don't want to do that. So can you just, maybe Ned can take you.
0: Well, she called me. So she called me a few days before and said, hey, are you busy, you know, Wednesday afternoon? And I'm like, oh, no, what's up? I could, you know, like take work off or whatever. And she asked me, she's like, Josh isn't going to want you to, but he's going to try to take himself. But will you take him to his mesec? I said, that would be amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You were were gentle. Yeah. It was really nice of you. You sat with me in the waiting room. You tried to document it and tell me. That everything was going to be just fine and (laughs) held my hand.
0: I just remember riding up in the elevator and then you talking to me. There's people in the elevator and you're like, why are you making me do this? (laughs) 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 Oh, geez. So then, uh, yes, you had your vasectomy. You you, um, walked out of the room. It was fairly quick. It wasn't. Well, and for me, I was only out in the, the lobby for like a half an hour.
1: I wish I had had you come in with me, <laughs> like just so I had some type of support in there. So like I get walked in and uh, it's a male nurse. He's like this big old dude and he just like hands me my gown and everything. He's like, all right, yeah, you can go uh, get naked in that bathroom in here. And so I walk in like to the operating room and there's like a little side bathroom. I cruise in there, uh, you know, get all stripped down into my little gown and then I lay down on this, uh, operating table and the doctor comes in and he doesn't really like prep me at all with anything that's going to happen. doesn't walk me through the procedure. doesn't say anything. He just like starts cranking the seat back and he doesn't like, say anything.
0: You just starts tilting the seat back. Yeah. I mean, are you fully naked?
1: Oh yeah. I mean just like, gown? I mean my balls are just hanging out <laughs> like, like I'm just like spread Eagle. Cause like it's almost like stirrups okay like you know when the chicks get their pipsmears, smears okay. <laughs> and uh so i'm sitting there like spread eagle i've got like a paper hospital gown thing on oh, and uh he just like starts leaning the chair back and i'm just like oh, oh, oh god i'm gonna die and like he just starts like raising it doesn't say a word to me and then he's just, like
0: Another day in the office. He like
1: unwraps this like thing of tools and I can't look cause I'm basically upside down at this point. I'm just trying to stay on the table. Okay. And he's like, all right, so, uh, I'm going to put some topical stuff on if at any point, like you feel anything, like, let me know. And I'm like, so like he, uh, he like real quick, I see him like, it's, it's like when a magician like throws some dust. like to just be like, Hey, check out this trick. But like, he totally, I guarantee he missed my balls completely. (laughs) He just like, he's like, Oh, here I'm putting some topical on, but like really he's just throwing it on the ground. (laughs) And then all of a sudden he like, just, I don't know. I have no idea what tools he used. I don't know what he did. I did see something that pretty
0: sure it was like a machete and a hatchet.
1: There was a shepherd staff at one point (laughs) that I think he used to like grab the tube out of there, out of my sack. But like legit, he like, pretends to throw some topical on. And then he just starts like kind of yanking on my sack. And I'm just like, I can feel everything right now. There's nothing okay about this. And he like a couple times looks at me and he's just like, uh, can you feel that? And I guarantee my toes are curled. Like and my face is probably like just bleach white. And like, I'm shaking probably like just holding on partially because I don't want to fall off the freaking like operating table, yeah. but also because I'm just like, there's nothing okay about this. Like none of this is what was described to me like this, like legit. This was not my experience. And so then he like goes to like numb me up and he goes to shoot some stuff into one of my balls. And like, I just, it's like, he's literally like taking a spear and sticking it like through my sack.
0: (laughs) No, one's ever going to get a sex me ever again. No, it was the worst thing to this. And
1: I've, and I talked to guys afterwards, like I've, a couple people, weird people like yourself, you're like, Oh yeah, it really wasn't that bad. These people watched. It was cool. Whatever. I didn't feel a thing. I watched it too. And then like, I've talked to like three or four other guys that were just like, that was the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. I would, I would never do it again if I had the option. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank yes. You. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. <laughs> other people are liars or maybe they went to a good doctor, but anyways, so like he's, he, shoves the needle in one of my balls, like the first time and like literally like most excruciating pain ever. I'm trying not to pass out. And then, (laughs) and he's like, all right, can you feel that? And I'm like, I I feel everything, like everything that you're doing to me right now. Then he goes over to the next one to numb it up and like jams a needle on that. He's like, you shouldn't feel this one too much because you're already halfway numb. I'm like, these balls aren't connected (laughs) just so you know, there's a reason there's two. And like, he like shoves a needle in that one. And I'm just like, dear God, like, why, why is this okay? Why yeah. is this something that you're allowed to do? Like, so basically I kind of had like my brave heart moment. <laughs> okay. He tells me that he's like reaching in there with his shepherd, shepherd staff yeah. to like lasso one of my like, uh, tubes to uh-huh. pull it out and cut it. So he like goes in there and he's fishing around. And like, all of a sudden I feel him grab it. And legit, it's like, I don't, I don't know a lot about anatomy, but I guarantee whatever he pulled on was connected to something like in the back of my skull. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, like Braveheart, dude. I'm like, I know how he felt when he got quartered. Like I guarantee it was the exact same way. Like same s- feeling. This this dude just yanking on this tube that's attached to the back of your skull.
0: <laughs> I didn't hear you screaming in there.
1: I couldn't. I was about to, I was trying you're, not to you're pass just out, trying not to die. I was trying not to die. I was like, oh, it'll man. be over soon. It was the worst experience of my life.
0: When you came out, so then so then they cauterize it. Yeah,
1: I love the smell of, like, the burnt flesh. The that burnt was really, flesh. That was really neat.
0: So then you come out, and, I mean, you, you looked a little defeated. You looked a little sad.
1: Yeah. Like, it was
0: hard not to just kind of – I mean, I was just all smiles, you know.
1: Here's the thing. <laughs> when Braveheart got quartered, he got to die. So, uh, like, he's done. He's yeah. like, I'm good. I have to keep living now. You have to keep living. Like, I was – Basically sexually molested. <laughs> okay. Um, and you paid for it. And Yeah. And fun fact. So this was like the cherry on top. A few weeks later, we'll go back to kind of like the recovery process. But a few weeks later, <laughs> I legit got a letter from UC Davis that said, hey, that doctor that did this, we just have to let you know that he's been separated from us.
0: No way. Yeah. You never told me that. That's hilarious. No.
1: Like, I, I legit got that letter in the mail. And I just looked at Ashley and I was like, this is all your fault.
0: <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably like his last day of work with you. And he's like, I hate my job. I hate everything. Yeah, I'm just going to screw with this guy. For, for all
1: I know, he was about to be fired. And he's just like, "Yeah, one more for the road. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, probably, fun, fun fact, this guy's not sterile. <laughs> you're
0: probably on his YouTube channel. <clears throat>
1: guaranteed that was, that was underground
0: black market youtube
1: yeah it was the worst experience of my life i i would never do that again
0: so then the recovery so have you gone and got checked have you taken your little lunch sack in and let them check out the i
1: stuff? mean so like i had some saved from before <laughs> and then i would just like i have little petri dishes and i just shoot a little bit in there like every once in a while and i'm like oh it's looking clear <laughs> you like- know I figure like what I had before was like, uh, like protein, you know, the well, Kodiak cakes.
0: Yeah, I remember in the last, in the last podcast you, you mentioned it was like, you used to have Kodiak cakes and now it's Bisquick.
1: Oh, it's crusties at best. Oh, Crusties. Yeah. Just add water.
0: <laughs> but have you gone in and had them test it?
1: Nah, I'm kind of like,
0: just have you gone at all? And have you taken any in? No. Wow. No. That's daring. I because took at least one one lunch bag in.
1: Here's the way I look at it. If Ashley gets pregnant again, that's what you get for making me get a visectomy. <laughs> that's what you get.
0: But what about you?
1: I don't have to raise the child.
0: <laughs> you are such a good dad. You're so full of crap. <laughs> um, okay, so recovery. Okay, so first off. I remember just walking across the parking lot from the, from the You probably remember center.
1: that portion better than I do because it just started hurting oh so bad. Oh my
0: gosh. I remember I opened the door for you. You got in, you were just like a super miserable and I was trying to be like cool and not be too mean. And, uh, <clears throat> we went to, we went to the drive through at, uh, we got donuts. This is at like five 30 in the evening. We went to, uh, what is that? Donut. Place oh, Krispy called? Kreme. Krispy Kreme. Yeah. We went through and got some Krispy Kreme. Did I? Did we go on this? Did we have any ice? Uh, I think
1: you, we. They think, sent you with some. No, they didn't give me anything. I think we had peas.
0: Oh yeah, we had peas. Yeah. Okay, so you were sitting on the peas. Yeah. And then, so the the funny thing was, is then I was like, let's get some food. So we went through the drive through In and Out. Yep. Right. And then you you were expecting your wife. To bring you some kind of food that evening. Yeah. (laughs) So she brought you food home.
1: She brought me more (laughs) In-N-Out. I didn't tell her that we had already had In-N-Out. So you had it twice? I don't know. I wonder if like that's how like, not to make light of dudes that have been raped, but like I wonder (laughs) if that's like how it is. You're just like, you know what? That was a pretty gay thing that just happened. I'm going to go ahead and have some meat. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, good. Like In-N-Out burger. Get some meat back in my body. Yeah and uh feel less violated feel more like a man okay and then when ashley brought me more it was like yeah this is good this This is is helpful yeah so i would recommend that to anybody okay
0: so there's there's a little bit of uh information if you haven't got your vasectomy yet and you get it make sure to have a hamburger after
1: or a steak or some type of meat something to make you feel less violated
0: yeah get your manhood back that's some good information Mm -hmm. um okay so how are the next couple days
1: all I remember is like, I couldn't sit up. It, it literally felt like, like just like they took tendons out of my sack or something. Yeah. And like, so I'm just hunched over all the time. And then every time I would try and like sit up and like straighten myself out, it was just like, I'm, I'm just stretching this out right now. I don't know how much of that tube he took out, but I like a lot. I guarantee it was more than he should have. <laughs> I was terrified to nut ever. Mm. I was like, so like after How long did you wait? <clears throat> I don't know. Did they say like a week? They said something like that and I remember uh it is bad planning. I thought it was good planning. It ended up being bad planning because Ashley ended up having Jameson uh maybe like 4 weeks after.
0: Oh yeah.
1: So I went from like being terrified to having sex and not really being able to Cause I was just like so scared. I'm like, dude, this thing's going to be like a blood sprinkler or something. <laughs> and so like, or, or it's just going to be like, puh, 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 puh. it's just going to be like dust. Uh, but, but it was, it was the worst. So like, I like no sex really for like a couple weeks. And then I think we tried once and I was like terrified. Mm. I was like, and then, and then but it we was did, fine. It wasn't, it felt so uncomfortable. Oh. But it, was like, it in
0: your head for real?
1: No, it legit hurt. Mm. and so like i'm like okay cool i'm gonna be like one of those dudes who like has like a swollen testicle for the rest of his life <laughs> or like one of the because dude they were like so big like it Better was swollen so swollen mm-hmm. i like just looked down per- there purple too huh oh it was like a ripe peach just ready for market
0: <laughs> oh like a man plum, i feel dude. so bad for anybody who's listening to this just that hasn't done this yet who hasn't had it done
1: look are you exaggerating at all I wish I was (laughs) I wish that I was I really do like I I, after talking to everybody else I was like I guess this isn't going to be that bad they're going to everything will be fine and then he started going to town it was just like this is immediately not okay I immediately regret this decision so how long
0: how long Till it really started feeling better because you went to work three days later I think
1: I had planned yeah
0: and let's just remind everybody, you are a deputy, so it's like it's not like you're going to a desk.
1: Well, I had pl- yeah, I had planned to go back to work, and I work patrol right now, and so I was like, I, I think I ended up just like calling out the rest of the week. Mm. I I had taken one day off, and then the day came for me to go to work, and I was like, nope, not doing this.
0: So did a lot of um, once you went back and. Was, so, how many weeks did it take till you felt like better?
1: Uh, well, I would say until like it stopped, like, like legitimately hurting and being like sore. I would say a couple months. A couple months. Yeah.
0: So, did a lot of uh, perps get away because you couldn't catch them?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. So many. So
0: many. That's what you call them, right? Or bad guys.
1: I just call them other like human beings. Okay. Other people that yeah. have made poor choices in life. Got it. Wow. You know, That's they're good. just people having bad days. Okay. <laughs> I'm here to help.
0: Oh, man. You're a good one. You're one of the good ones.
1: I know. <laughs> call, oh, this, Call my work and let them know.
0: This whole episode is just going to be me laughing mm. the entire time. Okay. So before we get serious, anything else to know about the vasectomy?
1: My wife got me a cake that said, snip, snip, hooray, (laughs) and then held it over me and made me take a picture with it while I was sitting in bed with a bag of peas on my sack. Were you smiling in that photo? I don't remember. I don't feel like I was. That was really nice of her. I also know that if I don't smile in pictures, they're going to continue. To take pictures? Yeah. Oh, so just smile. I just try and get it done with as soon as possible. There you
0: go. You seem like a guy who loves to have his picture taken.
1: It's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the olden days, they used to believe it took part of your soul. Oh. So I, I feel the same. Try to avoid it as, yeah. as
0: much as possible. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, we've also been wanting to talk about something, I guess, more serious, I'm sure, with you. It'll be lighthearted. But um, <clears throat> everybody all the tens of listeners have really been wanting to hear vasectomy 2.0. So that's why we started with that.
1: (laughs) The microphone cut out. Did you say, you said tens of thousands, right? (laughs) Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Um, Okay. So you have four kids. (coughs) You have four kids. Oldest is 10, 11.
1: Yeah. I've got Penelope. Who's 10. Um, Liam. Who's eight. Now, Uh, Hazel's five. And then our newest one, Jameson, is i think he's uh in two days i think he'll be uh seven months
0: dude he's such a stud
1: so what i wanted to talk
0: about was when liam was born Mm -hmm. um and just kind of go through the process of you as the dad processing that situation you're gonna have your first son born and it didn't really go as planned that was eight years ago
1: yeah um I've been thinking about it a little bit when you asked me to talk about it, just trying to figure out like, you know, go back to that time and not in a bad way, but, um, I've definitely had to, uh, kind of like look back and see like, where, where was I at during that time? Mm-hmm. Part of it legitimately is a blur. Cause like two and a half months after he was born, I left for, uh, some stuff for the national guard. I was gone for like five months.
0: Yeah. But even before he was born, weren't you gone for a little while?
1: Uh, I mean, that was eight years ago. You were... Before... He, thir- I had been gone before, 28? but I, wa- I wasn't gone for that long. Mm. I, I think I had maybe a... Like, before he was born and before Ashley was even pregnant with him, I think I was gone for, like, three or four months or something like that, but...
0: And this was a really interesting time because we had purchased two townhomes before this property we live on. Now we had purchased two townhomes next to each other. That was like our first idea. Yeah. And we took the fence down in the backyard. So they were, I mean, adjoining walls and then shared a backyard. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big deal getting in there. And then it was pretty quick after that, that Liam was born.
1: Yeah. And we really had like no idea, uh, like what, what we were even getting into as far as we knew and all the ultrasounds and everything we were going to have, um, just a typical boy. Yeah. Uh, I remember, and I mean, I get it. Like Ashley and I were pretty young when we had him. Uh, so I mean, we're just, all we knew was our, the birth of our first child, you know, we have Penelope um, they take her, or do all of her APGAR stuff. And then like, all right, here you go. Yeah. You get your skin to skin time and then kind of hang out and everything. And, uh, then this time we were actually, uh, so like when Penelope was born, I had been gone for like nine months. Cause it was when I first joined the national guard and then, I, I remember I went out drinking the night before and was just completely hammered. Like it was like four thirty in the morning, maybe five or something like that. I had gotten home like a couple hours before that. Um, and it was a Saturday, I think. Yeah, it was. And I get a call from Ashley. Hey, my water broke. And so then I'm just, Oh, because you
0: were out, you were gone.
1: I was in Arizona. You were yeah. in
0: Arizona. So you had been working all week <laughs> and then you went out drinking because yeah. it was Friday. Right. And then, so you're at, okay, go on.
1: Yeah. So I was stationed down in Arizona, uh, doing some training and stuff. And then I get this call from her and I'm like, Oh my gosh. So like, I got to like run down, like get everything squared away, get them to approve my leave to like go home. Luckily they did that. And then I end up making it home within like a few hours. I ended up getting a, tra- getting a flight to Vegas. And then when I'm in Vegas, it was like, The movies you know like you're going up to the lady at the counter and i'm just like i'll pay you anything i have to my child's being born right now like get me on a flight out of here like to sacramento and i remember like she just looked at me and she's like she probably i I probably look like a wreck and then she's like well you know what i believe you because you're willing to like pay whatever and everything she's like i don't think that you're making this up and i was like yeah i'm totally not and she's like all right i got a flight for you and like within like 10, 15 minutes, I remember I was boarding a plane in the plane in Sacramento. So it worked out really good. And you made it. Yeah. And I got back and had the berth and everything and we're all stoked and all the basic stuff I just talked about, like in the delivery room. And so then when Liam was born, you and I were actually on our camping trip.
0: Yeah, annual camping trip. Our
1: annual camping trip up to Fosemite. <laughs> and... Dude, I remember, I remember
0: that. So funny.
1: It was insane because, like, we're all just hanging out, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, this, like, sheriff's car rolls up. And uh, and
0: this camping spot is in the middle of nowhere.
1: Legitimately in the middle of no nowhere. No cell service. No clue how this guy found it. Like, but he did. And he's calling for Jose Carrasco. And I don't know. Because he's Mexican, I was just like, I assume the worst. I'm like, mm, they're profiling this guy. They knew that this Mexican dude, like rented this campsite and they're coming after him. And Jose was uncomfortable too. Cause I remember calling his name. That's his other buddy. It was registered in, uh, in his, his name. Yeah, the campsite. And so like, that's all they knew for the registration. And they're like, ah, oh, he's camping with this dude. And so we go like running up there with him. Like, Oh dude, you're in trouble. And we had just
0: went to go on a long hike too.
1: And yeah. like, we were
0: starting to go off the trail. And then we heard this cop <laughs> on a bullhorn go, Jose Carrasco, come back to your site.
1: Yeah. And so we go back there and uh dude is just like, yeah, so um, is Josh Stannis with you? And like this whole time, I'm like, oh, dude, Jose's in trouble. And then I, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm right here. And he's like, uh, your wife's uh, delivering her baby right now. You he's like, you might want to get back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, cool. And it's what? Gosh, that's a three-hour drive roughly? That's four and a half, dude. Oh, okay. And so I remember <clears> like we got in the car, like I threw the fish that we had caught in an ice chest I still remember this because I brought the ice chest to the delivery room because <laughs> you just dropped me off. You're like, all right, I'm going to drop you off. I remember
0: then... driving like a hundred miles an hour down 99. Oh, 99. We were in the Jeep with no doors. Yeah. Right. Cause we take all the doors off the Jeep and the roof off the Jeep and we we're cruising. But let's just back up. Cause it's not like you just go <laughs> on trips and are gone when your wife's about to have a baby. <laughs> both, both Penelope and Liam were early. Right. Yeah. Right. So we had plenty of time to do our 3-day camping trip before Liam. Yeah, arrived.
1: Liam Liam was uh jeez, I don't even remember how early like it was. 6
0: weeks? Maybe. We're sure, I'm going to butcher it.
1: Maybe more than that. And Ashley will probably listen to this and be like you, you idiot. idiots. But uh yeah, I feel like it was that much cuz I know uh Penelope was like 3 3 weeks early maybe. Yeah. Um but I remember Liam was like borderline like premature. Yeah. Um, but also he was small because of like his diagnosis. So that was the thing is, so we have Liam and we're in the, uh, delivery room and I'm all stoked. Like I'm having my first son, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm like, this is rad. I've got a little girl. Now I'm going to have a son. Like I'm in my mind, I'm kind of thinking like, sweet, we got our two kids, you know? And then, uh, so they take Liam as soon as he's born and the nurses don't really say anything to us. Like there's no like congratulations or anything like that. Like everybody's just really quiet mm. and like thinking back on it now, I'm like, mm, okay, I see why they did that. But it was just really like for us, we're all just on a high. Like yeah. Ashley's pumped. She just had a b- little boy. We made it. It's You're like stoked. He, yeah. I got back and we're just like pumped and we have no idea. Yeah. And so then they take him and they're, doing his Apgar and everything. And then um, they like, I, I think they even took him out of the room. I'm trying to remember that. I feel like that's something that happened. And I remember kind of being like, oh, that's different, but mm-hmm. like not really thinking anything, yeah. of it, you know? Uh, and then, you know, so we're in the hospital and then before I remember when we were in the hospital, like the nurses would come in all the time and check on us and see how we were doing. And so we've got, you know, Liam and the nurses aren't really coming in to check on us at all. Like they'd come to like, look at him and check on him and everything, but they're not really coming to check on us. And then it started getting a little bit more weird because they're like, Hey, has he had a bowel movement yet? And we're like, no, I guess not. So like he had his like initial little bowel movement, like when he was born, but, um, it wasn't anything big or legit or anything like that. And so we're like, Oh, you know, it's late. And so Ashley's trying to breastfeed him and everything in the hospital. We're still all stoked and pumped, but we're like, man, the nurses are being really weird. Mm. Like they're not talking to us at all. They're not really saying anything. Like nobody's really communicating with us. Like the doctor's not really coming in and saying a whole lot. And so like, I, I remember our doctor, um, I had put a call in to her, our pediatrician, and was like, "Hey, they seem like a little bit nervous that he hasn't like pooped yet. Do you know why that would be?" And then, uh, what was it towards towards the end of the second day being in the hospital, um, I remember them coming in and just being like, "Hey," because uh, we ended up having to have him do like a like a test to see. Um, if he had a blockage or anything. Mm. And so I went with him and sees like a, like a newborn child. And I went with him down to the imaging and everything. And like uh, he's having to eat this dye, And then they're having to like shoot this dye into him and like check his stomach and everything. And they shoot these pictures. And like even the tech wasn't really saying a whole lot to me or like why we're doing it. They're just like, oh, maybe he has a blockage and that's why he's not pooping. Well, then all of a sudden towards the end of the day, uh, you know, I get a call back from his pediatrician and she's like, Hey, uh, sorry, I didn't have a chance to call you. I don't want to say this a hundred percent because we already sent testing down for his genetics. Uh, but it looks like Liam has down syndrome. And so I'm just like, I, I freaking have no idea what this is. I don't yeah. know what that means. I don't, I'm not really processing and I'm like, okay, well, at the same time, she's calling me, I get told, and Ashley's being told by uh, the doctors um, at the hospital that we're at, Hey, we're sending Liam down uh, on an emergency transport to Sutter, Sacramento to the NICU, and he's going to have to have, uh, He's going to have to have emergency surgery. His intestines aren't connected to his uh, colon. And so I'm just like, like the doctor just told me like, hey, I think your son has Down syndrome maybe. And then she's like, I'm 99.9% sure, even though we haven't had the genetic testing back. But everything that he's presenting with like tells me that that's what it is. And so I'm just like, I'm trying to process that. I haven't told this to Ashley yet. And then these other doctors are coming into our room saying, hey, this is an emergency. We need to transport your son down because they had just got the imaging back from the test that he had done. And so I remember just walking outside and my uh, I remember my dad was there. Mm. Um, and I remember just walking outside and I'm like, the first thing I think to do, and I don't know why, I'm like, I need to call my work. I'm going to be out for a minute. So like, I call my work and I'm like on the phone crying to my boss, just like, hey, I'm not going to be in. And, you know, like, I, I don't know what's going on. And my boss is just like, uh, is the little guy going to make it? Is he okay? And I'm just like, I have no idea right now. I have no idea what's what's going on. I just know that I'm, I'm not going to be in. He's like, all right, cool. Take whatever time you need. So then my dad, I remember being outside with me when I made that phone call and him just seeing me just like falling apart. Mm -hmm. And you hadn't told him yet. He had kind of heard me talking on the phone and everything. And, uh. I remember they had been close by because they were visiting anyways. And so I I think, I don't know if I called them or Ashley, and was like, hey, you guys need to get back. We don't know what's going on. And then I think Beth and Brian also were down visiting. Her parents. Yeah, Ashley's parents were down. And it was just a whirlwind because, like, we're loading up in the car and everything. They're putting him in, like, this little, like, So they're discharging
0: Ashley at the same time?
1: Yeah, well, she's like, I'm. I'm not going to stay here. Like I'm going to go with my kid. And so moving hospitals. Right. So they're getting Liam all set up and hooked up to all this stuff. And they're putting him in his little like NICU box for transport. Um, and so he's got to be treated like a premature baby at this point because he's not really eating. He's not pooping. So like, he's not really getting any nourishment. So, right. so it was, it was a sketchy time, and I remember we go ripping down behind the ambulance because we followed the ambulance all the way down to Sutter Roseville. And is it Ashley who's in the I. car? Just you and Ash? And it was me and Ashley, and I don't remember if any of our parents were in the car with had us. Had you told
0: not. Ashley the the ninety nine point nine percent that he had Down syndrome? Yeah,
1: I did. And she was just a wreck, but I mean, neither of us really knew what it meant. We didn't. We didn't know like what right. does that look like, and so then we get down to. Um, Sutter in Sacramento, and we go to the um the intensive neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU, and he's getting set up on these little machines, and we're seeing all these other little preemie babies there, and like babies with like crazy diagnoses and stuff like that. Yeah, and so we're just like, we're like, we have no idea what's going on. We're just like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, you go from this moment of just euphoria, excitement, right to like. Oh my God. Like, I don't even know what's happening.
1: Yeah. No idea. I had no clue what was going on.
0: Heavy intensity, man.
1: And I remember, so like after we get there, the main doctor finally comes out to us and he's just like, he like sits us down and every, all the nurses were saying like the dude's legit. He's a good doctor and everything, but he just sits us down and like looks at us and he's like, look, your son has down syndrome. Um, basically what that means is, uh, he's going to be living with you like for the rest of your lives. Like he's not going to be able to care for himself. Uh, He's going to be incapable of doing that. And like, this is the diagnosis that he gives us just like, Hey, here's this. And he's like, uh, he's not going to be able to speak very well. Um, He's not going to be able to just kind of gives us this rundown of things. He's not going to be able to do. Mm. Honestly, the dude was an asshole. Yeah. Like, Maybe he thought like, Hey, these kids are young. They need a dose of reality. But at the same time, like who are you to just sit there and be like, Hey, this kid can or can't do this, like right right out the gate. Right. And just be like, this is what they will or will not be able to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I think that's stupid. I mean, you wouldn't do that with any other child. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when, when your kids are born, like what if the doctor's just like, he's not going to be like a brain surgeon. Or like, he's not going to be able to do this or they're not going to be able to do that. It's like, screw you, man. Like you have no idea what any kid's going to be able or not going to be able to do. Yeah. So that was a, that was something that like frustrated me. But like at the time, young, kind of immature, like I have no idea. I'm just like, dang, dude, that's rough. What the heck? Yeah. Um, so after that, he was in the intensive care unit for probably a little over a month. Multiple surgeries, and right? So he had, yeah. So he had to have his first surgery. Um, for his intestines. Right. So he had what was called a uh, duodenal or duodenal atresia. And just meaning that his intestines aren't connected to his, his, was it, his upper intestines weren't connected to his lower intestines. So nothing was able to be processed. So like, I don't know, he's been alive for like three days at this point. And then i just remember like bawling and like breaking down like when they're getting ready to take him back into surgery like i'm holding his little hand and i'm like what the hell is happening right now like we just had this baby and now he's going to go into surgery and like there's a slight chance like that he might not live yeah and i'm just like okay and i get that they have to tell you that stuff but it's your newborn baby and you're just like what the heck man um But he ended up coming out of that fine. And then after that, uh, he ended up, they thought that he didn't have bile ducts. And so they ended up wanting to do an exploratory surgery on the poor little guy again, uh, like before he got out of the NICU. So then we had to go back and have him do surgery again. And this one was like, hey, if he doesn't have bile ducts, uh, it it was like that was almost worse than the the atresia that he had before because it was just like we need to connect the intestines to the lower intestines. That's not like that big of a deal. But if he doesn't have bile ducts, I didn't realize how big of a deal that is. Like he was going to have to have like a transplant at some point or they didn't know like, you know, even what his life expectancy would or wouldn't be. If that was the case. And maybe I'm remembering this stuff wrong, but I remember it being pretty intense and just being like, what the heck? Yeah. Um, But anyways, they went in there and I remember we're praying a bunch uh, before the surgery and they go in there and while the doctor's in the surgery, uh, he ends up coming out to us and we're like, I don't know if that's good if he's coming out to us right now. Like, well, they're supposed to still be in surgery because it was like a six or seven hour surgery or something like that. And so he comes out and he's like, hey, good news. Uh, I thought he didn't have bile ducts. It turns out they're just incredibly small. And so they're there. He's good. Uh, yes. they just got to start kicking in and working and everything. So we just got to watch it. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's awesome. So that was huge.
0: A little victory right there.
1: <coughs> yeah. <clears throat> so that was really cool. Um, and then after that I left for like a few months and just like,
0: so he was a couple months old when you had to leave.
1: Yeah. He's like probably two and a half months old when I took off.
0: I remember it being really like, I hate to say these kinds of things, but just, I don't, I don't want to, it was just the timing of us all living together. I know Sarah and Ashley, Sarah's my wife living, sharing a wall. There was a lot that we were able to just like really tighten up and, and support everything that was happening at the time. Because yeah. there's a lot, you know, <clears throat> for you to have to go and for Ashley to be a young mom with a baby and a toddler. Yeah. <clears throat> and so what I want to... I mean, dude, it's, it's heavy. And I mean, every day people are f- having to go through this, you know. Yeah. Or I don't want to say having to go through this. They're going through this. And... Liam's a freaking stud, man. He's like the most popular kid at school. Uh, Hilarious comedy. He's so fun. How is it though as a dad, like navigating that, you know, so maybe give us a little bit of insight into you. It's like, okay, I have to navigate that. Yeah, there are some realities of I'm going to take care of Liam for a while and, and I want to have a son that I... Like, like my relationship with him and you have these expectations, life is full of expectations. Right. Right. And so it was different, but it's not different, bad. It's just different. And so as a dad a husband processing that to navigating what your relationship would with him would be like.
1: Yeah. There was, there was a lot of adjusting and there was a lot of like growth that's had to happen for me to get, to a place where um not necessarily where like I have a healthy relationship with him but just there was there was things that I as a dad like just right off the bat died to hmm. like my I'm not I'm not going to get a grandson from my son you know hmm. um more than likely Uh, I'm not, you know, I, I guess I'm not like looking for him to like grow up and be a brain surgeon. I'm like wondering, is this kid ever going to get a license? I know some children have, um, and I know that, you know, some children, yes, they do still live with mom and dad or they have some type of apartment set up or something where, you know, mom and dad are paying for that. Yeah but i think the biggest thing was i was in probably a place and i had to be really honest with ashley about it cuz she's like you're she would always tell me like you're really quiet about this like almost like you're ignoring the fact that your son has down syndrome hmm. um uh and honestly to an extent i was and I remember there would be times like I'd get frustrated. I remember one time specifically I went with, I think it was you and Ron. Um, We took our boys up to go uh, sledding. Okay. And, you know, your kids are cruising around like little boys having a fun time in the snow, like cruising on the sled, like ripping around. And then Liam's just sitting in the snow screaming because he doesn't like the texture of it and he doesn't like the way that it feels. And, like, that was, like, the first time it just kind of hit me. And I want to say the kids were, like, what? Brody was probably, like, five maybe, maybe in kindergarten. So Bro so Liam was three or so? <coughs> yeah, I want to say he was, like, three or four or something okay. like that. Yeah, so Brody and was five or, Brody five was or five six. Five or six, yeah. yeah. And I remember just sitting there, like, cool. Like, it's tough as a dad, like – and I see it now, even like, uh, coaching my son's basketball team. Like you can see like some kids like super not coordinated and they're eight, yeah, you know, and not able to do things yet. Or like, they just haven't really grown into their body or like they're figuring stuff out. Um, but for me with Liam, like ever since that doctor told us like, there's things he's not going to be able to do, you know, I'm just sitting there. Like I had this defeated mentality. It, like it was almost like I was defeating my son. Mm. Like not like, I don't expect anything out of him or I didn't. It was kind of like that.
0: At some point that changed though, because I mean, looking at the way you and Ashley treat him, I mean, as far as far as I've ever known and I've Mm -hmm. lived next to you, I've always felt like you guys purposefully don't allow him to get away with like whatever, because he has down syndrome. But you know, this is, you So at a certain point that shifted for you.
1: Yeah, it definitely did, and honestly, uh, it was before Jameson was born, and so after after Liam was born, um, not that much longer after that, uh, Ashley got pregnant again, and I remember we were just terrified because like the probability of you having another child with Down syndrome, like just skyrockets after you've had one um, unfortunately. And that's all the statistical stuff. But I remember when Ashley was pregnant, she was terrified. I remember I was just like trying to be cool, trying to be strong about it. And then it's so tough. Cause go ahead. And then, you know, uh, she ended up having a miscarriage like mm-hmm. two, three months into it. And just, I remember she was a wreck cause it's like, She's then feeling like, I guess I only have children with Down syndrome or I guess I'm not able to have other children. I'm not able to have another typically developing child or I just can't have kids. Like now I've had a miscarriage and I know that all those things like aren't true, but those were really, they're real real feelings, feelings that she was having. And then even in the back of my mind, I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know what's going on. And I'm almost scared to have like another kid, you know, but then we had Hazel. And, uh, I was, I was like, in my mind, we were done having kids at that point.
0: How are you, before you talk about this next piece, how are you a husband to Ashley? Or how would you recommend a dude be a husband and come alongside when there's those feelings of like miscarriage, or we're going to have another kid with, with health issues, things like that.
1: Well, I mean, everybody's everybody's going to handle it differently and everybody's going to have different needs. I know, I know what Ashley needed and I know probably what I didn't necessarily provide. Part of what I've been able to provide Ashley is just, I'm a pretty consistent person. I'm pretty yeah. like level. Steady. I'm not, I'm not up and down. I'm not all over the place. Um, She's kind of a flame up flame out, you know, type of person. And I'm just, just cruising on the top So cool of the water. how
0: we're put together with people that are, I mean, it's frustrating a lot when you're put together with somebody opposite, but I think every married couple would be like, Yeah, my spouse is kind of opposite me. Oh, which guaranteed. is guaranteed. Supposed to be that way, so we can hold you know, help each other where we're weak. The stuff that's rough is weak, but well, the stuff
1: know. that's rough is the stuff that makes you grow. Yeah. And then it's cool when you're able to see how those things complement each other. But I mean, if anything, I would say that's probably what I provided to Ashley. Just being probably steady. Yeah.
0: How do you now you might say you were good or bad at this, but how are you also like mentally taking care of yourself?
1: I wasn't. So I wasn't at all.
0: What would you have done differently for that?
1: Um I think I probably would have the biggest thing was that I just left like two and a half months afterwards and left her to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was and your I job. Get, I get, you know, the military part of it, but it was still like, you know, I, I don't want to say that I necessarily could have done it differently, but I, I wonder back to that if there is a different way. Cause it kind of, for her, it felt like, cool. You're just abandoning me with this problem. Mm-hmm. Like not even just you are leaving me with the kids, you're abandoning me with a problem I've never dealt with before. And an issue that I've never dealt with. And like, she was having to like battle through it and figure her stuff out. And I basically just left and like completely forgot about it, mm. you know? And so then it wasn't until when I came back, like four, four or five months later that then it was kind of like in my face and I'm having to deal with it. <clears throat> and it's been, it's been difficult. Like, Processing everything and not necessarily dealing with it, but, um, being able to enjoy this new part of our life. Um, I mean, Liam's an amazing kid. He's like 100% got my sarcasm and attitude. Uh, but the dude is so loving. Yeah. He's like the sweetest kid ever when he wants to be. He's still a kid. He's still, but like, that's the thing is like, he's. I treat him like he's an eight year old boy. I don't, I don't really try and, you know, find specific things that I'm like, Oh, he can't do this. So we're going to try and do this. I'm like, if he wants to do something, I usually let him do it. Um, we're pretty big on with him, just letting him do like whatever. Like we treat him just like any other typically developing like eight year old boy. Um, Sometimes it's harder to understand him. So we have to have him like repeat himself like five or six times and it frustrates him. But, uh, I mean, we still hold him to the same standards, um, that we hold the rest of our kids to. So
0: at what point did that kind of switch for you that you're like, you know what? I'm not going to just treat him like he's a defeated kid and I'm going to just treat him like a kid. And yeah, there might be some things he can't do, but there's a lot of things that he can do and he does them differently than maybe another kid because of his down syndrome, but it makes him so unique and fun. Like there's just certain things he's not going to care about that. My son cares about that. It's sad that my son cares about, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, that's kind of like what, what I've had to work through with him. And I mean, that's kind of what I've had to, you know, a, a lot of people will say, well, I had to die to this. And it's like, I didn't really have to die to anything. I just had to, I had to be able to, you know, love him Mm. and not, and that was
0: hard. Was that hard to figure out how to move from this place of like, okay, this is just a responsibility that I now have forever, maybe to, you know what? I freaking love this kid.
1: It was a rough conversation to have with Ashley. And it was like a difficult like prayer and thing because that I had to have, I mean, and even being able to be honest and just be like, I'm not necessarily stoked to be this kid's dad and to like openly say that, like, cause you feel like an absolute piece of shit when you say that. yeah. And then at the same time, you're sitting here going like, it is how I feel. And so like through a lot of prayer and my biggest prayer was God, help me see Liam like the way that you see this kid. Mm, like, don't it, let me see, good, man. don't let me see like what I see or what my fears are. Because that was the real thing is I'm seeing dead dreams mm. when I look at him. Because as a dad, you think of all these things that your kids are going to do. You hope or accomplish. You hope that they yes. accomplish. Or things that, and <clears throat> and maybe, and a big part of it is the selfish part of it is you look at yourself and your kids and you're looking like, I'm looking at my son going, people are going to see me as inadequate. You know, I'm not looking at my son seeing what his possibilities are or anything. I'm just looking at him and being like, kids are going to see my son with down syndrome. And they're gonna be like, ah, there's the dad of the down syndrome kid. Mm. And like, these are all like selfish, like, yeah, but first dude, world you know things, what? but they were real, but they're real and, and thoughts that I had
0: and they're real thoughts that not just you're going to have that other dudes are going to have They're real thoughts. And so to be freaking open and honest and be like, this is, this is real. You have to process this stuff or you're going to find some way to just bury it. Yeah. And then just become a terrible turd of a dad.
1: And for a couple of years, I totally did bury it. I just was like. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I definitely didn't want to go to any like support groups or anything like that. Would you any change that?
0: Would you go now?
1: <clears throat> I don't I don't know if I would necessarily now, but I would definitely like I mean, would be you? open enough to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. And 'cause here's here's the other thing that I think happens. Just like we like so many parents find their identity in their children. Uh huh. What I've noticed, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying it, but a lot of parents of kids with special needs that's their identity mm. they go like a hundred percent into you know advocacy, and I'm not saying any of that stuff's bad. I just for me that's not my thing Dude, i'm not I'm that's... not gonna be I'm not gonna be the guy going to like these different functions and things and just being like, "Oh yeah, I'm the Down syndrome dad, or I'm this or I'm that." I have a son. His name's Liam. He happens to have down syndrome. You know what I mean? Dude, that's hell good, bro. Like,
0: damn, that's really good.
1: But it, like it, it can make me time. cry right now, bro, because well, it's, it God, was a long time to get to that spot
0: though. Yeah, but that's so real. It's so raw. It's so important. And it's like, cool. If you want to do the advocacy stuff, you know, cool. If you want to do these certain things, uh, but you're right like that's just kind of like another way to cope almost it could be it could okay and be. i don't want to say it's for everybody but it could be just another way to cope instead of just being like yeah or i love a... how you said that my son this is Liam and he just happens to have down syndrome
1: but that's, that's just it. that's how it is though i mean
0: oh bro
1: he like i love my son like more than anything and i feel like and I'll sound all churchy and spiritual, but I 100% believe this. Um, I feel like I had to get to a place where I could love and accept my son the way that he was before God was able to give us Jameson. Mm. And that was my biggest fear of having another son when I got to that point where I just fell in love with Liam. Um, And like part of the you know, me having a hard time figuring out how to love Liam was probably I didn't get to bond with him like in the first part of his life because I just peaced out and then forgot about everything um, and focused on work. But until I got to that place, like I got to that place of being able to just look at him and just love him and see him for just the, you know, cute, awesome, adorable kid that he is, I was always afraid that like, okay, what if I have, what if I, what if I do have a typically developing son? Am I going to look at Liam as less or am I, am I going to forget about him? Am I going to stop dumping my time into him and just focus on this typically developing son of mine that can do all those things or whatever the dreams that I had made up in my head about what my son should or shouldn't do. And so that was a big thing. And I, I, I really believe that like, when I got to that place of having that be a concern of mine, that it was almost like God was like the fact that you're having those concerns and you want to love Liam, like you're where you need to be now. I'm going to bless you with another son. And that was the thing is we weren't even having, trying to have another kid. Like it just happened. Like when we had Jameson, um, uh, And, like, yeah, he's the baby of the family. He's child number four. And, like, everybody just dotes on that kid. Yeah. And he's never had a bad day in his his (laughs) seven-month life. Right. But I I still, like, I don't even feel like I have to guard myself against, like, going to that place of, oh, I'm going to spend all this time with Jameson. I'm not really going to spend as much time with Liam. Like I get to coach his basketball team right now. And I feel bad sometimes because all the kids on his team are like stoked to have Liam on the team. And, and he's not so much a mascot as much as they just want to get him involved because he's so stoked about it. Yeah. He's like and over so, the top
0: fun and excited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I have to be, I have to be careful because, like, I guarantee there's been a few games when, like, he'll run up and they're getting ready to, like, dribble the ball down to half court and, like, go to the other side. And he'll just stand in front of his own teammate and be like, all right, give me the ball. Like, Pass I'm, the ball, like, pass the let's, ball. Let's, let's do this. And so he's, like, yelling at him to pass the ball. And, like, I sound like a jerk. Like, just, Liam, no, you can't do that right here. Like, they're dribbling down. You go set up your play over here. And, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, that's his thing. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. But it's been awesome to like see him do this and see other kids interact with him. And like, there's still stuff I have to guard myself from like in those moments because I'm like, ah, dude, like just knock it off. Go, go down here and do what you're supposed to do. But like, I've got other kids on the team who are doing the exact same thing and they're typically developing kids. You know, it's just the,
0: you have twirling in a circle or yeah, or like especially
1: especially when he was playing t-ball, like half the kids would be out there like digging holes, right. You know, or like chasing butterflies or whatever, and like they just don't care. And then there's like that select three or four children that are like super into it and, you know, trying to be like the next Jose Canseco.
0: Dude, how incredible to go from that room finding out, you know, your son has Down syndrome and not knowing how to process it to going almost to a dark place of like, I just don't even know how to deal with any of this to now you're freaking coaching your son. In basketball. And like I went and watched you coach him. And. It's just so fun. Like how, how rad is that? That's awesome. And. Yeah dude. <clears throat> it's so good. It's a lot bro. You talk about the stuff we go through in life. And never talk about. You know. Yeah. <sighs> it, All of us can just gain so much from each other, you know, just from a, I want to say a simple story, but we've been talking for 59 minutes, you know, so you say, okay, if I can share like 59 minutes, a simple story, but it's like messy, real feelings, life, heavy, like this is life. Mm -hmm. This is our lives. All of us have a story. All of us have things we're going through. Like you said, they, they either shape us (sighs) and we grow from it. Or we just become like self-absorbed, use different substances or things to like cope with, and never really own it, and and allow yourself to be okay with going through. Like it's okay if you, it takes you some time to go through something. Oh yeah. But figure out how to get out of it at some point, and then share it with somebody so that they could grow, and maybe it's a little shorter that they got to go through it.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's a journey. I mean, it's, you know, there's good and bad days, but I mean, there's people that have gone through like exceedingly more difficult things. Like, and that was the thing, especially when I look back to when we were in, uh, you know, the, the intensive care unit, Mm -hmm. the NICU. And like, I'm seeing kids that like the nurses are basically saying like some of these kids aren't going to make it. And or like, you know, kids that are going through leukemia and seeing them go through their treatment there. its just like,
0: so heavy.
1: I mean, that's all stuff that could happen in either of our lives. And yet our kids could go through that. Anybody could go through that. Um, and it just, like even things that became dark during that time. And even the things that I was like, Oh, I don't know this, but like you think about all these other people that are going through these and, incredible, incredibly hard, incredibly difficult, um, you know, times and having to like be there for their kids or their spouse or whatever they're going through. Um, it, not to say that, you know, we went through, wasn't difficult, but it kind of puts things in perspective when mm. you're just thrown into that mix of, cause that was the other thing for me that kind of helped me during that time was when he would go in for his surgeries, it got to that point where I'm like, he may not come out of this surgery and you're just, you're just hearts broken for your child. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter what their diagnosis is or what's going on with them. You're just like, you love that child so much just because like, as soon as they're born, it just happens. But yeah, there's life is messy. There's just so many things that like go on. So many things that happen and,
0: it's wild how much we're capable of. Like I heard this dude tell me he he told me about his wife dying and uh he said a lot of times people would say to him like I I just can't believe what you're going through or I don't I, I don't understand what you're going through or, or I could never go through what you're going through. And it's and what he had said is he said when you go through something God gives you the grace that you need to make it through. And I just thought, wow, that's really profound because he's like, yeah, you wouldn't understand because you haven't gone through it. But when right. you're in it, like we are capable of so much. I think we don't realize how how much we're capable of. And that's even to say of the, the thickness or the heaviness of life that we're able to process. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it's through God's grace that he gives you this, this layer of like, you can do this. Like you can go through this and yeah, I mean, I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I don't know what it's like to have a, a child with down syndrome. Uh, I don't know what it's like for some of these things, but then there's things in my life that you wouldn't know what it's like because you haven't had to like go through that or experience it. Right. Um, and that's what makes us all unique and be able to like vibe off each other and grow off each other. If we allow ourselves not to be so self-absorbed, right. But be, 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 engage and in tune and that's community you know but to really be involved in community that's what we're trying to do on this property and it's it's hard sometimes you know but but the hope is that we grow through that oh man is there any last thoughts that you would would say or share if a dad right now is going my kid was just born with health issues my kid is going through some major health issues and, and in the hospital a lot. Or as a dad, personally going, I have some really just like some heavy stuff and I'm trying to be strong for my my wife and my job and whatever. Any last thoughts on any of that? And, and you don't have to.
1: It's difficult. Kind of put you I on mean, the spot. I mean, all I can really say is uh, at the end of the day, And I don't mean to sound chauvinistic, but as the man in your household, you are the man of the household. Hmm. You're the dad. You are the husband. Um, You are the one who is supposed to be stronger. And that's something that I think that we forget about a lot. And so many times, um, you know, we kind of think about. And I feel like people have gotten this way a lot more lately. People back in the day, like my grandfather's generation, even my dad's. If stuff was hard, they just dealt with it and they made it work because they had that sense of I'm the husband, I'm the dad. And I don't mean that in the sense of just deal with it, shove it down, you know, let it go uh, or ignore it or forget about it. Still deal with your stuff. But sometimes your wife, your kids, your family, they're not the ones that you need to air that stuff out to. Mm -hmm. Find somebody, find a group, find a, uh, go to counseling, like talk to somebody about that, that you're not going to have to worry about how you're saying those things to. Mm -hmm. So that you can still get that stuff out, say what you need to say, be honest and then come back to your family and still be that strong person for them that they need, because you're the one that's ultimately, um, you know, definitely going to be the person who's, who's running that family. You are, I'm sorry. You're, you're a dude, you're a dad, you're a husband. It's your role. That's your role. That's your job. Like sometimes, yeah, I'm saying suck it up and get through it and hold your own, but I'm not saying do it in an unhealthy way. Dude, it's so good. And as I sit here and I look at you and I think about it,
0: I think that as you said it so perfectly, I just see this image of this patriarchal pyramid, you know, where, you know, I think that the reason dudes kind of have this bad rap for themselves is we put ourselves on the top, like serve me, serve me. But I watch you, bro. I watch you, and you've turned that patriarchal pyramid upside down. And you're like, "Yeah, I am the job. I am the dude. This is my job. This is my role." But the the pyramid's upside down, where you're at the bottom, and you're carrying that shit. Like you're carrying it. I see you serve your wife. I see you serve your kids. I see you get up at three a.m. or get home at four a.m. You know, based on your schedule, and just do it. You do it, man. And you do it day in and day out, year after year. And, um, and dude, that's your role. And you freaking have accepted it and, and not like a, Oh, well, F my life. This is it. I mean, uh, there are days like that, obviously for anybody,
1: everybody. Yeah.
0: But dude, you are a, you are a really good husband and you are a really good dad. <laughs> and, um, I see that in you, bro. And I, and, and uh, I just think, Freaking, keep doing what you're doing. Share your life with people. Keep being hilarious, because <laughs> like the first twenty minutes of this was just like freaking hilarious.
1: going have to edit out the first twenty minutes of it. No, maybe
0: me. one or two things, but but uh, yeah, I feel like you sort of missed your calling to be on Saturday Night Live or something. But um, I, have, I have a face
1: for radio. <laughs> uh,
0: anyways, dude, um, I think sometimes as men, like if you're listening to this. It's like I'm all, almost tearing up. It's so hard sometimes on the day-to-day basis to see like how important your role is and how important it is to uh, to like serve your wife and kids and sometimes how much the grind can be a grind because I think so much of the time we have like this Instagram world where like everything's supposed to be fun and life is supposed to be fun and, and we're supposed to be doing what you love, which to some extent I think is a little bit of bullshit. Like life is messy and you can enjoy it, but this whole do what you love or everything's supposed to be fun it's just it's just not what makes us real like that's not what we look back on life and go that's what really shaped and made me mm-hmm. i want to have fun but i also just want to do life with my friends and my family and you're doing it bro and um love you like a brother i i i know that for a lot of dudes it is hard to like open up and share stuff And I know for you, like you're a quieter dude. Um, and I'd almost say it's because it's like, you're, you've just accepted life is life. And so let's just kind of like do what we have to. And then when we're together, BS and like, why always be real all the time? Not, not real, but just like kind of be funny and chill. Cause like, yeah, we could just talk about how depressing things can be, but why, you know, uh, so anyways, I just want to give a shout out to all dudes out there. And and I just want to echo what Josh says is like, own your role, own your freaking role. And if you do, you're going to have this sense of fulfillment and legacy, which is what we were all designed to desire instead of just pursuing like the killer golf game or like the fun every weekend or whatever. I'm not saying don't do those things. Those are cool. But those can't be where we get our main purpose, you know, our main identity.
1: And I feel, feel like that's that just reminded me of the other thing that I need to say about um, being Liam's dad. Mm. We don't always think about the fact that, you know, we're going to have, like, legacy or not. But that was something that it was kind of like the Stannis family name for me mm. was basically going to die with Liam. Because I didn't have another son to carry that on. And that sounds like such, like in today's day and age, that's not something you think about. It meant something a lot more, um, you know, hundreds of years ago. It was like, oh, well, the, you know, whatever it was, the Masons or this or that or whatever they were. Yeah, it whatever had a like meaning to it. It had a meaning or like, you know, the blacksmiths or whatever it was yeah. or, you know, because that's what their job was and that's what their title and their heritage was and their name it meant something. Whereas now it's like, yeah, I don't really give a shit what your last name is. But, um, that was something that I kind of had to die to with Liam and be okay with, you know, cause my daughters are going to get married. They're going to take someone else's name and they're not going to have the Stannis name anymore. So like that, that legacy, that, that thing that I pass on, um, as weird as it sounds, that was something that was a big concern to me. Hmm. And it, I'd never really thought about that before. I love but then that realizing though, that, that's important, but then realizing that that was possibly gonna be gone and done with like it was almost like part of me kind of died mm. Um, and like that's why it was such a big deal. You kinda in a small way, you know you kinda understand why people in these uh in the old tales that we hear and the old stories that we hear you know about um you know just different people wanting to have a son, Mm -hmm. you know, to carry on their name and being able to have that legacy, like, go forward. uh, That was, for some reason, ended up becoming, like, a big deal to me. And probably just because it was something that I couldn't have. Mm, Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, you can't have this. Well, no, I I want that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it was never something I ever thought about before. And that was something that I definitely had to, like, work through and kind of struggle through and be, like, okay with. Um, having it be that way. And it was a huge, uh, it was a huge blessing. Um, when I did have Jameson, but even still, um, it doesn't change like how I feel about Liam or how much I love that kid. Yeah. So
0: what I think is, what I was kind of thinking about while you said that is legacy is like this character, you know, that we build into future families, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, It's not just the name. I mean, it is, I get the name, but it's like, who are they becoming? What are their families look like? And and how do I still see this important thing, this character that I'm striving for, you know, a hundred years from now, 500 years from now. Yeah. And I think, you know, growing up, I didn't know anybody who had mental, not meant like who had disabilities. Hmm. So it's like, I didn't know. Sometimes you don't know, like if you see a kid in a wheelchair, who's, drooling out of their mouth and you don't know how to act around them. Or you see a down syndrome kid, you don't know how to act. You don't know how to be around. And so one of the legacy pieces that I see in your kids and in my kids, because we are living in such a tight community, like all my kids see Liam, right? All your kids see Liam. And, and there's this like legacy being built into all these kids that now when they're out in the world and they see a kid with down syndrome, like when I was 15, I wouldn't have been able to walk up and be like, Hey dude, what's your name? Right. And, and how, how, how sad that no one taught me that. And it's not that I would have avoided it, but I might've not teased, but joked cause like I'm uncomfortable. I don't know how to act. Right. And I see there's these eight kids that are going off into the world with this legacy of knowing how to, love somebody who's diff, maybe different. Yeah. And I just think dude that's kill I mean it's 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 amazing. It is. <sighs> dude, well uh the conversation was hilarious. And I just loved hearing us be able to talk about that and I really truly believe dude that like your realness to not be like I just wrote a book about how you should handle being a father of a down syndrome child, but to be like, I'm going to be like the 99 other dudes who this is what really happens and how you really feel and what you're really going to go through, uh, to be able to talk about that as well as joke about your vasectomy and drink this moonshine, <laughs> uh, <laughs> mine's gone. Uh, so we should probably end this, but dude, I love you, bro. And I appreciate you. And I think you're a stud. I think, like I said, I think that you are, um, a great example of what it means to be a husband and a father to a family. And I really mean that.
1: Thanks man. Let my wife and kids know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, dude. Wow. What another amazing conversation around fatherhood. I so appreciate Josh's willingness to really open up and share his story, share his life. All of us can gain so much from that. Please share this episode with somebody if you know that they are going through something similar or just need to really consider vulnerability and openness and trust in relationships. I think that there's so much to be gained from from Josh sharing sharing the realness, the rawness of, hey, these are real feelings that people have and sometimes we don't want to say them or put them out there. But Let's be honest with each other. Let's really allow people to go, okay, this is normal to feel and think this way. Let's work together to get through this. I just so love this conversation. The dude makes me laugh so much. And uh, I really enjoyed that he was willing to also kind of dive deep into his story about his incredible son, Liam. I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do truly matters. Don't be like everybody else, be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. And again, please, if you haven't already, go like us on Facebook and Instagram. Go share this with somebody that might find it valuable. And please take a moment and write a review. It helps to promote uh, and spread the word that fatherhood matters. Bye. Bye. Bye.